she's the one I've been told Girl, she's worth a band of gold Peggy Sue got married not long ago Peggy Sue got married not long ago Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I will be your host in our journey to introduce more movies that need more love into the world. And my movie today is a uh, one that's very near and dear to my heart because it's a movie that it seems like almost nobody knows or has heard about these days. It's a uh, from 1986. It's the movie Peggy Sue Got Married. It's a uh, We'll kind of delve into this in a second, but it came out right after Back to the Future. Very similar, kind of got overshadowed, but it's a movie that I am very excited to talk about because there's a lot of interesting things going on in it. And my guest today, I'm going to bring her on. She is a writer-director. She makes her own movies. Uh, very, very talented Renaissance woman. I'd like to introduce my friend Candace Kane. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mario. I'm really excited to be on the show with you. So right off the bat, I will say your name, Candace Kane. Your nickname is Candy, right? You go by Candy Kane. Yes, I I go by Candy, and I married into Kane. So, <laughs> so what's your maiden name? If your your name's Candy Kane, what was it? Well, my maiden name's Cook. So if you hyphenate me, I'm Cocaine. Oh, good. When I got married, uh, we lived on Crystal Rock. So my very best friend Michelle decided to send in my invitation to the Jay Leno show when he used to do those like funny weddings, whatever. And it was the cocaine wedding on Crystal Rock Court. Very nice. So like the entire wedding invitation was there. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to have someone on whose name gets made fun of as much as mine does. <laughs> if not more, especially during Christmas. Oh yeah. And then we've already done a podcast on the movie Joyride. So of course, every time during the show, I will have to refer to you, you as Candy Cane. Candy Cane. I yeah, when that came out, I was not married when that came out and everybody would start calling me Candy Cane. And then I met my husband. <laughs> I was like, "No. Please no." <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And again, for people who don't know, I'm named after a famous singer in the 50s, Mario Lanza. That's literally his name is my name. And then between that and the video games in the 80s, it's my name has been made fun of repeatedly over the years. So I'm so excited to have a fellow uh, person whose name has been mocked. So I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you. And when I was pregnant with twins, I used to like throw out the, you know, a joke grenade that took people, you know, you throw out a joke grenade, it takes people, people a while to get it. Mm -hmm. And I used to say I was going to name my twins Lida and Lana. And um, I, nobody got it. And they're like, oh, you're having girls? No, no. But <laughs> All right. So uh, tell people what you do. I know I kind of maybe even underrepresented you. You do a ton of stuff, right, these days? Well, I uh, sort of. Um, I'm a writer-director. Uh, my film, What Happened Last Night Last Year, was released by Sony. Um, we were in contention for the Oscars. We actually thought that we would um, – we are on the shortlist for Best Original Song, and we thought we were going to get a nomination. And unfortunately, we came out when La La Land came out. And they got two noms. We got zero. And we were a micro-budget micro um, film. But then uh, it did so well in testing the characters did so well, people were like, you really need to do a spinoff. So I started writing one called Senior Week, and we decided, you know what, let's let's do it in, as, a, as a series. So I have a series called New Dogs, Old Tricks, which I just announced on Monday is going to be an Amazon exclusive starting September 28th. Awesome. And if you're a good if you're a good boy, Mario, I'll let you have a sneak peek. I'll, I'll let you watch the first episode, which just got completed today. Oh, excellent! Oh, uh, this is very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, uh, this is one of these movies. Peggy Sue got married. I had mentioned it on Facebook a while back that I wanted to do a staff picks podcast on it, and I didn't really know who my co-host would be. And Candy kind of. Uh, popped into the thread and started talking about how much she loved it. And I said, well, this will be great. So we'll get on and we'll talk about this movie. And is this a movie that you kind of grew up with? Is this a movie you know especially well? Yeah, I do know it well um, because I'm a huge fan of Back to the Future. And I really love the ideas of the story where, okay, if I was able to go back in time. And I, I mean, it even goes back to A Wonderful Life. And I, I don't like that film because it's just overplayed during the holidays with uh, Jimmy Stewart where – you get to see what would happen if you went back 
into the past and were able to change things. So um, back in 19, I, I don't think I watched it until later because I was only 10 in 1986. But uh, that's when I like fell in love with Nicolas Cage. And also mm. he had Moonstruck around that time. And I, I just, I adore, I adore Nicolas Cage. And um, it, it, I, I love his voice. And a lot of people hate his voice in that movie. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's so great. His little obnoxious talk through your nose voice is <laughs> perfect for being a teenager, you know. Okay, let's get this one right off the table here. You kind of dropped some trivia on me before this podcast that I was not aware of. That <laughs> Nicholas Cage, for those who don't know, is his real name is Nicholas Coppola. He is the nephew of Francis Ford Coppola, and what his cousin is Sophia Coppola. Uh, I believe so. I don't. I don't know the Coppola family tree very well. <laughs> okay, but okay. So you are somehow related to the Coppolas. I am indeed. Um, my dear friend is Natasha Coppola Shalom. And Natasha plays the role of Dee Dee in What Happened Last Night, as well as in in New Dog's Old Tricks. So, uh, yeah, so she's Nick's niece. Okay. Now, have you ever met Nicolas Cage? Have you met him? Not yet. And honestly, I don't get starstruck. I've worked with a lot of stars, Um, like really big names like De Niro. And um, I'm not going to drop any other names, but I've worked with big names and I've never gotten starstruck ever. Mm-hmm. And Nick Cage is oh, he's like one of my top three mm-hmm. that I would I would die for. And when I hired Natasha, I didn't realize that she was a Coppola because her last name is Shalom. She's a hyphenated Coppola Shalom. So it didn't dawn on me. And I remember going to uh, to Cannes and Natasha, we all split a villa. It was awesome. And I remember being in Cannes and uh, we drove past a, a picture they have like billboards with information, whatever. And there was one of Francis Ford Coppola. And I was like, Hey, Natasha, look. And I pointed out the window and she's like, ah, Uncle Francie. <laughs> like, it's just so weird. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And then again, for, yeah, for Nicolas Cage fans, this movie is absolutely one of the essential Nicolas Cage movies. And again, he's got a ton of them out there and it, <laughs> It's one of these things that Nicolas Cage repeatedly people bring up about him. He may, he makes odd choices in some of his acting deliveries and stuff like that. And I think that does not apply to any movie more than, as you said, Peggy Sue Got Married, where he affects yeah. this very odd voice that is very polarizing. I know some people love him in this movie. Some people hate him in this movie. I've actually heard uh, the star of the movie, Kathleen Turner, hated that voice so much she couldn't stand him. Like, yeah, it's one of these things. If you if you enjoy Nicolas Cage's quirky acting style, this would be one you would want to see. But Nicolas Cage, like, it's such an obvious choice for him. And I think that as a director, I think it's a really smart choice because Nicolas Cage has a very distinct man voice. You know, he has or masculine voice, let me say. In order for him to play effectively a 17-year-old, if you think about it, a 17-year-old's voice has not fully matured. So he needed to make that differentiation. I think it was very, very smart of him from a director's standpoint that, you know what, I need to make myself seem really immature and that I haven't come into my own as a man. And the way that you recognize that is through male voices. I'm glad you brought that up because I was reading some trivia behind this movie. And again, Francis Ford Coppola directed it. His, he's directing his nephew, Nicolas Cage. And apparently they fought over this voice. Did you hear that? That they did not see eye to eye over his acting choices? No, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, I read that, I think, in the Internet Movie Database trivia that Coppola hated that voice. He's like, I don't like that voice. And they fought. And Nicolas Cage basically stood up for himself, says, I'm making an acting choice. This is my decision. This is how I'm going to do this role. And he ended up winning and making his more famous uncle back down. But it kind of speaks to the confidence of a young Nicolas Cage that he would be able to stand up to, you know, a legendary film director this early in his career and stick up for his acting choice. Well, I also think that it was... I don't want to call it a power play move, but there are a lot of people that are in this industry that don't want to ride on their famous last names or don't want to rely on their more experienced family members, you know, and the fact that he he decided to change Coppola to Cage, you know, that that speaks volumes because he wanted to make it on his own. Whereas if you look at Sophia, who plays Nancy in this film, um, Kathleen Turner's little sister. Mm-hmm. 
she's Sofia Coppola. And I was like, and I didn't realize that until I watched the credits the last time I watched it a couple of days ago. And I was like, oh my God, Sofia's in it. So I think that it was very smart. He wanted to differentiate himself from the Coppola's altogether, in my humble opinion. Yeah. And this is only what his about his fourth or fifth movie, perhaps. Yeah, at this point? something like that. Yeah, people I know, Nicolas Cage kind of became a meme. A lot of people make fun of him on the internet, kind of the younger generation, like my daughter's age, just knows him as this crazy weird guy who was in Wicker Man and all these weird movies. But he has been around forever doing odd acting choices and strong acting choices. And yeah, this is, he's very young. And again, we're we're talking about Nicolas Cage here as if this is the Nicolas Cage movie, but it's really not. I feel we're kind of overshadowing the true star of this movie, the uh, legendary Kathleen Turner, who... Many people would not know these days, but she was, at the time, one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. She really was. She was gorgeous. She had an amazing figure. She had that raspy Lauren Bacall voice. She, you know, she had she had a couple of adventure movies where it was kind of unheard of for women to star in adventure movies. And I had brought them up to you, uh, Romancing the Stone, Jewel of the Nile, mm -hmm. where she was just almost like Indiana Jones, you know, doing those movies. And she was she was she was definitely a trailblazer. Yeah, and that's what I remember. That's something I had already had in my mind. I want to do Romancing the Stone on this podcast at some point. For people mm -hmm. who don't know and didn't grow up in the 80s, like Romancing the Stone was almost as big as Raiders of the Lost Ark, and they're very similar. Yeah. And it was kind of like a softer, gentler, more female version of Indiana Jones. Very similar, though. And yeah, she was getting these huge roles, and she was like leading movies, and she was in this movie, Peggy Sue Got Married, which is kind of one of her uh, big magnum opuses, where she was actually uh, nominated for Best Actress. And it's mm -hmm. one of those things, I just think it was so heartbreaking that all of a sudden, once we got to the 90s, she was just gone. Kathleen Turner just disappeared. And do you know what happened to her, why she disappeared? I do not. Okay, I looked this up right before the podcast. She, uh, What happened is she developed rheumatoid arthritis in the 90s. And mm. back then, they didn't have an effective treatment for it. They it, So she was just in intense physical pain all the time. And I, she was saying, I've read interviews, that she was basically bedridden at times for long stretches of time. And because of this, she was inactive. She gained a lot of weight. She started drinking to counter the pain. And she developed alcoholism. And just a really horrible string of events for her in the 90s until they really developed treatments for rheumatoid arthritis in the 2000s. And by that point, her career was pretty much over. She'd gotten older. She'd gained weight. She didn't look like Kathy. Kathleen Turner anymore and she just still does stage work now but it was just never the same she just lost out on a big chunk of her career to the point that as you I'm sure you know very well that women in Hollywood obviously lose a lot of roles once they get older and older and she got to the point where she just was not offered Kathleen Turner roles anymore well it's not even like getting older and older because if you think about the women that get older and older. I mean, look at Helen Mirren. Look at look at Dame Judi Dench. I mean, yeah, they're two British women, but look at oh, she's British also. That was Julie Andrews, uh, Sigourney Weaver, Gina Davis, Susan Sarandon, uh, Sally Field, um, Jane Fonda, uh, Candace Bergen. They they age. See, the problem with Hollywood, especially with women in Hollywood, is it's not what have you done. It's what have you done lately? And if you take any break, and this is why I don't come up for air with my projects. If you take any break, you, you're a husband and it sucks. You know, you just have to continuously work. And rheumatoid arthritis is no joke. My closest friend from college suffers from rheumatoid arthritis and she's my age, you know, and she's had it since college. And, you know, I graduated college in 98. So they were just coming out with like those, um, B12 shots, I guess, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And her mother has it and her sisters have it. And it's crippling, you know, and I can't imagine when you're working on set, you're on set for a really long, long stretch of time. When I was on the TV show Deadwood, my very first day on Deadwood lasted 22 hours. Wow. I got there at 3.30 in the morning, got into costume. I got out of costume at 1.30 the next morning. So when you have rheumatoid arthritis or if you're not healthy, you're you're not able to do it. And it, it's terrible. Um, but hey, Kathleen Turner, if you're listening to this, I will gladly write you onto my show. I will gladly write a film for you. <laughs> Just give me a call. Yeah, I would be so excited if she had somehow stumbled onto this podcast and listened, because I am just an unabashed Kathleen Turner fan. In fact, I have a great story. Have you ever heard the time that she met Lauren Bacall? You know, Kathleen Turner, big, hot new thing in Hollywood, the sexiest actress around, really great stage actress. She could do anything, had this confidence, this husky voice. And have you ever heard the uh, the quote she gave to Lauren Bacall the first time she met? No. 
she walked up to Lauren Bacall and said, hi, I'm the younger you. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> that's so awesome. <laughs> All right. So now that we've got the Kathleen Turner and the Nicolas Cage fawning over, uh, let's delve into this movie, Peggy Sue Got Married. And I will say this is a movie that I originally saw when it came out in 1986. Again, this movie came out about eight months after Back to the Future, and it really kind of got overshadowed because they are similar tropes. It's not They're kind of mirror images of one another. It's not the exact same movie, but... Like, I saw it as a kid. I saw it when I'm 13, and I thought, ah, that was okay. Like, I didn't really, it didn't resonate with me. And it's just one that I I came back to many years later when I was in my 30s, or late 30s, and, you know, both my parents had died. I have no grandparents. I, I've had a lot of loss in my life. I am, like, the, the top on my family tree, which is very odd when you become 40 and you have no one above you. It's very humbling. And then I saw this movie again, and I'm like, whoa, this movie is completely different if you see it when you're older. It so is. It's like I lost my grandma in uh, 2014 very suddenly. My husband had been in a coma for two weeks and uh, actually for 10 days. On the ninth day of my husband's coma, my grandma dropped dead, like out of the blue. And then the 10th day, my husband came out of the coma. And I never got to really talk to my grandma during those 10 days because I was at the hospital like the entire time. And that scene where she answers the phone and it's her grandma. Mm -hmm. And she, like, breaks down. Oh, my God. I, like, started crying on the couch. I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot about that. But, yeah, uh, there are just some real heart string pulls there, you know? Yeah. And, again, it's it's unfortunate we'll, it will get compared to Back to the Future. But what some of the emotions this movie pulls out from you are superior to Back to the Future. I'll just flat out say it. There's stuff about this oh, that's sure. amazing. In fact, I remember at the time, Siskel and Ebert said this was one of their top movies of 1986. They both put it in their top ten, which is kind of astounding. They didn't agree on movies that much. And yeah, and you watch it now, and it's one of those that it really isn't a movie for young people. And I hate to say that. I don't want to turn people off from it, but you're not going to get all that much from it. But if you see this movie, having having experienced life, having experienced loss and longing, and you have memories, and you get to the point where you live in your memories, and that's all you have of older people who have died many years ago, this is a really powerful movie that's kind of a gut punch. So I'm warning you right now. It's You kind of have to get ready for this one. But I also do think that it is a good movie for younger people because it shows it shows high school and it shows what you go through. And even though it was high school in the 50s, it still shows the cliques of friends. It still shows the boyfriend girlfriend relationship. It still shows the teenage relationship with the parents and teenage rebellion you know, and, and teenagers trying to make a mark and having their whole plan. Like I remember there's this one scene where it's Peggy Sue and her two friends. And she talks about how she broke up with Charlie. And one of the girls was like, no, 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 you can't do that. That's no, no, I'm supposed to marry whatever his name was. And she's supposed to marry him. And you're supposed to marry Charlie. You can't come on, Peggy Sue, get it together because you know, you have a plan. You have such a strong plan that you're supposed to follow when you're a teenager and life changes. Mm -hmm. And to have that opportunity to go back and it's, you kind of, as an adult, you're like, Hmm, would I go back and change it? But when you're a teenager watching this, you're like, Oh my God, she's screwing everything up. The, the exact line you're referencing is the, the it's Joan Allen, one of my favorite actresses. Just this is one of her very early roles in Joan Allen's like, we have to get older. We were all going to marry each other and have barbecues and we were all going to live on the same street. <laughs> Just, right. Such a 60s, 1960 thing to say. But still, it's it's still a thing, you know, like teenagers still have that idea in their mind. Like, yeah, I'm going to go off to college. But if they have a serious boyfriend and they're in a group of friends that have those serious boyfriends, yeah, I was the odd one when I was in high school. And I was like, no, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. And <laughs> I casually came back and all my friends scattered. But everybody else was like, no, I'm going to marry Jimmy. No, I'm going to marry Joe. No, I'm going to marry Mike. And I'm like, yeah, I'm out. You know, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, it's like everything is so life and death in high school. And like you said, it's very mm -hmm. universal. And so that's the thing. Like this movie, most of it takes place in 1960. If you're, you know, a kid now, you'd be watching that. You think you won't be able to relate to it. But again, I didn't grow up in 1960. I was in high school in the 80s. And this movie still speaks to me. Like I, everything that you see these kids doing in school, everything's life or death. We're planning our futures out. It's just 
those things are universal and they will always continue with because when you're young at that age everything seems so important to you and you can see your whole life planned in the future and obviously as we know you and i both know life doesn't go in a straight line it will take some curves and wiggles and turns and you're just going to react to those that's your life you cannot plan what's going to happen right and when you do become a 40 year old or even when you're a 30 year old or 28 excuse me 28 38 48, 58, you're planning your reunions. Mm -hmm. And when you look at this film, it's you have that nostalgia. And it's really cool because I think this is one of very few films that are out there that you grow with it. And every single time you watch it, you will have a different perspective. That's a great point. That's I had not thought of that. That is absolutely true. Yeah, every time I watch this movie, I put a little of my own story into it, and it changes the viewing. Right. Well, you just had your daughter go off to college, right? Yeah, absolutely. She just left for college a couple months ago. So you have that perspective, too, of being an empty nester. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you, So you have the perspective of what the mom and dad are going through You know, with, with the child. I mean, they have another child at home. But to see, okay, the daughter's graduating, she's becoming an adult. So you have that perspective. And the scene that I love is between Peggy Sue and her father when she when she comes in and she just pours herself a, a vodka. And he's like, what do you do? You know? And just to have that perspective, it's like, what would you do if your daughter walked in and did that to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Okay, let's let's kind of walk through this movie to kind of sell it for people, because I'm guessing a lot of my audience has not seen this movie and probably has never even heard of it. So let's kind of do uh, a quick overview. Yeah, so it's we start the movie. It's this woman, uh, Peggy Sue. What is her last name? I always forget. She has two last names. She has oh. a, Kelter. Peggy Sue Kelter, and she's been married. Her name is Peggy Sue Bodell now, and she's played by Kathleen right, Turner, and she's, uh, what, 40 or so in real life, uh, somewhere in there. Right. It's her 20th anniversary, uh, 20th 25th. high school reunion. Oh, it's the 25th? Okay. Yeah. It's the 25th high school reunion. And she's just going through a divorce with Charlie. Yeah, that's the thing. Kathleen Turner, Peggy Sue married this boy right out of high school. Charlie is played by Nicolas Cage. And we find out later in the story, basically, she got pregnant on her 18th birthday. She had to marry this guy, her longtime boyfriend. And now flash forward 25 years later. And her whole life is regrets. Her husband has cheated on her. Charlie's cheated on her. He's leaving her for a younger woman. She's mortified. She's got two grown kids. And she's preparing for this reunion. But there's a lot of conflicting emotions involved. Like she's going to go back. People might see her as a failure. The romance didn't work out. Her husband left her. She's been humiliated. And just uh, these are real things that if you've been through a high school reunion, you know these are very complicated emotions that come up when you all of a sudden are going to be thrown back into your past. Now, can we talk about her kids for a second? Sure. Because I, I take issue with the, with the casting here, first <laughs> of all. She's got two children named Scott and Beth. We never meet Scott. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I think the only reason that they introduced Scott was so that they could fill the other side of the locket. Oh. And what I'm talking about <laughs> is that um, Peggy Sue has this locket, and it was supposed to be a picture of her and Charlie when Charlie gives it to her. But when Peggy opens it, she's like, Oh, it's Scott and Beth, you know, cause that was her children as they were babies. <laughs> we never see Scott. We never do ever. Yeah. Ever. I have that in my notes too, that the whole movie Peggy Sue talks about, I love my kids. They're so important to me. Yet we only see her daughter who is played by a very young Helen Hunt here. You know what? But she doesn't look young. And that's like the issue I have with Cassie. And I think out of everybody in this film, she was so miscast. Hmm. And I love Helen Hunt. But she does not look like she could be, A, the product of Nicolas Cage and Kathleen Turner does not produce Helen Hunt. I'm sorry. Yeah. And B, she is way too mature to be, you know, she refers to her being like 18 or something to that effect. Okay. She, she's just way, just that doesn't work. And then finally, something as from a writing perspective you don't bring your kid to your 25th reunion. <laughs> you know? My wife oh. and I, yeah, we were commenting on that last night as we were watching. Why the hell is your kid at your reunion with Why you? Why are you bringing your child? Like, because it doesn't make sense. And it, it just really, as a writer... I watch it and I'm like, what the hell are they thinking? And, you know, why couldn't you make Beth and Scott younger and leave them home? Because it does not affect the storyline. Well, yes and no, but you have to remember she was pregnant on her 18th birthday. So it would make sense. I under, oh. 
Helen Hunt has to be 25, unless... You so know, you're right, so yeah. Helen Hunt is 25. But she doesn't look 25! Yeah, Helen Hunt is always... She always kind of had that Jodie Foster thing, where right. they never looked young. Even when they were young, they had like a 20-year-old's face. You're right, she does look... Okay. I just... Right, you're right, I'm wrong. I take it back. Yeah, my, my wife has two gripes with this movie, and she says it every time we watch it, that... A, like, why is the daughter at the high school reunion? And the other thing is that later in the movie, the mother in the back in the 60s says, well, we're going to a bake sale, and I baked you some uh, Rice Krispie treats. And my wife is always like, you don't bake Rice Krispie treats. <laughs> that's very true. That drives her insane that someone true. says you bake them. So anyway, that's uh, those are our nitpicks. But yeah, I was reading some trivia that Helen Hunt was only like nine years younger than Kathleen Turner, so it was a very odd choice to play her daughter. It was just, it was miscast, because Kathleen Turner looks very young to begin with, you know, especially when she does the whole Bobby Socks thing. She has that mature look, you know, she has very striking features, plus she's wicked tall, mm -hmm. right? Um, what is she, 5'9"? Something like that, yeah. Um, I got her beat by half an inch, but anyway. Um, but Helen Hunt is just, they they could have cast it better, because I think they needed, even, even if she is, you know, 25, they needed somebody who looked younger. You never know how old the her her son is. And then if she's 25, why is she in the apartment? Does she live there? Where's the son? Or are you sure that that Beth is the one? Do we know that that Beth is the one that that was born first, or was it Scott that was born first? Yeah, that's a good point. We don't know. And also, where is Paul Reiser? How come he's not there? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe he's Scott. Maybe he's Scott. <laughs> Whoa, it's a Shyamalan twist. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so we have Kathleen Turner going through all these conflicting emotions before a reunion. And again, this is very real. People have been through reunions know this. I was the planner of my high school's 20th reunion, and I was in charge of everyone's emotional baggage and issues leading up to that. Like, they all had to go through me, and I had to convince them to come. And, like, women that weren't married didn't want to come, women that had been through a divorce, guys who, you know, had been in jail didn't want So all sorts of baggage coming up before a reunion. And so Peggy Sue goes to this reunion, and again, it's the same high school that her ex-husband went to, Nicolas Cage, Charlie. So it's very conflicting. Like, they don't want to both go. It's very awkward. And she goes, and it's just this weird thing. These reunions are weird things where you're like in a little time warp where, you know, there's pictures of you as a kid up in the wall and there's all the people that were popular in school and now they're like, like the guys who were jocks back then are old and fat now. Guys that were nerds back then are millionaires. This, this is one guy, Richard Norbeck, I think his name. Yeah. And he's like invented all these things. He's this big, rich millionaire and everyone just picked on him in school. So it's just a weird mixture of the past meeting the future, which is really the premise of this movie. We're going to have an even bigger collision later as uh, the, the movie is going to go along. So my question for you, mm -hmm. you said you had to deal with, you know, a lot of single women that didn't want to go divorcee did you ever suggest that they bring their child to a reunion <laughs> no i would never suggest someone bring their 20 year old to their high school reunion that is the why would a kid even want to come they'd have no business being there they would know nobody yeah it's just that's that just jumps out of me i would never have suggested that yeah it's you know i i just have issues and that's writing stuff that doesn't have to do with directing or the movie um you know the, the film itself but just the script i just think so many things could have been done a lot differently yeah and again we're sitting here bagging on it we both love this movie so don't take this as a criticism yeah oh we love the movie absolutely yeah no we absolutely love the movie and i don't mean to do that it, and it's just because i guess it's because the movie is so terrific those little pinpricks you know just it, it just magnifies it for me you know and that's just it's just at the very beginning of the movie too and then you get into the regular part and you're like oh we're good Okay, so it's very quick. We have this reunion scene at the start, and we meet all of Peggy Sue's friends for all middle-aged women now and all the people she grew up with. And there's this one boy. What is his name? Michael Fitzsimmons. There's pictures of him. He was like the brooding loner. He was like this beatnik back in school, and everyone thought he was odd, and no one knows what happened to him. And again, we're going to meet all these people because within about 10 minutes of the movie, Peggy Sue kind of passes out from the emotion of being at the reunion. And when she wakes up, all of a sudden, she's back in 1960, and again, it's 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 this is where it kind of gets unfairly compared to Back to the Future, where right. it's not the fact that she's going to see the past. This is one she's literally reliving her own life, and it's very uh, Twilight Zoney kind of. Yeah, and the, the the premise is that 
she wakes up back in, in 1960 and it's not like she went to sleep. She passed out uh, when she was giving blood. So that's something that really could have happened to her when she was giving blood because they used to do those school blood drives and everything. And she's, you know, laying down in, in, she wakes up in the school gymnasium or whatever it is. And they're like, here, have your cookie or have your juice or whatever. And her friends are like, Peggy, are you okay? And she's like, oh my God, you're so young. And then Charlie shows up and she's just, she's baffled. Whereas Michael J. Fox or Marty McFly knew that he was going to be going back to the past. Mm -hmm. Peggy Sue didn't because Peggy had just been named, you know, queen of, of the reunion or whatever. And it was just overwhelming and she passed out and then woke up to another time when she had passed out. That's right. And she gets her post-blood giving Twinkie, which was apparently the big thing back in 1960. Oh, was it a Twinkie? A Twinkie, yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure they'd be handing out Twinkies in schools now, but apparently then they did. So one of the things that's really interesting about this scenario is that, like you said, Marty McFly knows it's, it's the past. He knows what's going on. Peggy Sue doesn't know what's happening. She's looking around her, and all of a sudden, and it's like she's in 1960. They're playing tequila on the radio. Everyone's driving around these big Edsels and Thunderbirds and stuff. And, like, these are all these people she knows, but they're all young. And she's and you just think about that as you get older, like, what that would be like now as I'm, I'm 43 now, but as I'm 50, 60 watching this movie, thinking what a, what trippy that would be to literally relive your own life where you know what you know now. You have all your knowledge of how the world works, but you're right back in your life as a kid. And Peggy Sue can't figure out what's going on here. And at first she's kind of just in awe. And later she kind of figures out like this is thing like, how did I get here? It's almost like kind of metaphysical. Like, did I die? Did I right. die in the, in, the, in the future and I came back here? And is this, am I a ghost? Like she doesn't really get what's going on. And for at the start, she just is enamored by it. She's, once she gets over the shock, she's like, well, this is so cool. And like you said, we get the scene where she's in her, her house as a teenager and she just walks into her, into her dad's liquor cabinet and grabs a vodka. She's like, well, I had a rough day today. She's like, what the hell are you doing, young woman? You don't drink. And she's like, oh, dad, I had a rough. Like, it's just funny watching what would be a 43-year-old woman or so doing this. And I, again, we have to say the, the acting of Kathleen Turner is just amazing. I'm sure you would agree with this, that oh, yeah. it's amazing how she can do little things like portray, because they don't make any pretense that she's, they don't try to make her look younger. The pretense is everyone sees her as an 18-year-old where literally you're just looking at Kathleen Turner. But like it's her body language, her mannerisms, everything she does is different when she's playing a teenager. It's really a masterclass in subtle body language. Yeah, just her posture, the way she leans on things. You know, it's she's she's really terrific. And I disagree. I do think that the, she does look a bit younger, you know, than, than what she looked in the beginning. You know, okay. I think that, that we look at Kathleen Turner now and you just need to remember that she was wicked sexy in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And they I think the way that they made her look younger was that they went from sexy to wholesome. Ah, that's it. Yeah. I always thought she was a little older. I was I was reading the Internet Movie Database, and it said she was only 32 when she made this. I assume she was a little older. She really? was still quite young, yeah. Really? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, but I mean, but again, that's somebody else that, that always looks older because, because she had that sex appeal. You know, um, when I have my actors, when I cast, there are just some actors that I have that are just unbelievably sexy, and you think that they're older than they are, and they, they aren't. Hmm, interesting. I'll watch for that next time I watch. Yeah, it's just little subtle things they do to make her pass her off as being someone younger than she really is. Well, I mean, the ponytail, of course. Of course. Every, yeah. Of course. <laughs> it's the ponytail and the glasses, the not another teen movie way to make the girl ugly. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, you know, I got to say, when I was watching this and I saw Jim Carrey as one of the leads, I was like, how old was he? Are you kidding me? He's in this? I <laughs> yeah. totally forgot he was in it. Jim Carrey is one of those guys who kicked around in Hollywood for the longest time before anyone noticed him. And this is one I wanted to do one of his, uh, do you know the movie Once Bitten where he plays the teenager with a vampire? I do, yes. That's that's another one that came out. Again, people think he hit it big in In Living Color and uh, Ace Ventura, but he was around in Hollywood for 10 years before that, before anybody noticed him. And I think I read somewhere he and Nicolas Cage were like best friends in real life. Oh, were they? That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, they're in a bunch of early movies together, something like that. Oh, that's so funny. Okay, so anyway, so Peggy Sue is back, and she's just enjoying the novelty of reliving her life. She's like, this is so cool. She's, you know, goes in her room. She sees her old record. She sees her diary. There's, like, American Bandstand playing on the TV. Her mom's making uh, creamed chip beef on toast with rutabaga, which is about a 1960s dinner, as you can get. Yeah. 
But there's little details near, like, where she's telling her sister not to eat the red M&Ms because there was a thing that in the <laughs> 80s where the red dye was found to be, like, toxic. Right. So uh, just little jokes in this about her knowing the future and no one else does, and it's not really played as a straight comedy yet. It's just kind of whimsical. And this is where it gets kind of weird where – we meet her with Charlie. Charlie is the man she will eventually become pregnant from and get married and get divorced from. And of course now she's back in high school and he's all over her. He's like hitting on her, trying to make out with her in the car. And she, of course, being in her forties is repulsed by this because he just left her for a younger woman. So it gets very complicated psychologically that now I'm back with Charlie and I know what's going to happen if we stay together. And she doesn't want to do this. She doesn't want to make the same mistakes that she made in real life. Right. And doesn't want to go through the pain. I think more specifically. Exactly. Yeah. She knows her life did not work out the way it should have. And she is not going to do that to herself. So right off the bat, she's going to push away Charlie every chance she gets, which she never did in real life the first time around. So it's going to confuse him. He doesn't know what's going on. But one thing that I need to point out is in the very, very beginning, uh, they're looking at Michael Fitzsimmons, looking at the picture of him, because even though he was a beatnik, he was apparently a track star. So she's, you know, he's, she's looking at him and she's like, that's the one guy that I wish that I could have been with. You know, and everyone's like, really? You know, and then she's able to revisit that. And that's really an interesting part of the movie. And this would ring true to anybody watching this movie young or old is that some of the people that were in high school that didn't really fit in end up being the most interesting people. And that's what she really does here her second time around. She's like these people that I ignored the first time around when I was just this popular majorette batons twirling girl. I'm going to go seek them out and I want to get to know them. So she gets to know this beatnik guy and he reads her poetry. She goes to the guy who was the biggest nerd ever and she just picks his brain about metaphysics and his time travel possible. And it's kind of really cool to have that second chance in life where you can go seek out those people that maybe in high school you thought were oddballs where in truth they were the ones that maybe you should have gotten to know. Yeah. Well, uh, if you recall, Richard and um, Peggy Sue had a very good relationship. Because they went and saw each other, you know, when she greeted him at, at, the, at the reunion, Richard, you know, said, oh, you were always so nice to me. And these people remember that stuff, these oddballs in high school. They remember the one or two people who treated them with dignity and gave them respect. And that's something that we learned that Peggy Sue did. She was the one popular girl that actually didn't make fun of this nerdy guy. So he appreciates that later in life. So that's it, you're right. That does fit in with the relationship. She's going to meet up with this guy, Richard. And she's going to explain her situation. That's why this movie's a little different. She actually explains to this math nerd, um, I think I got sent here from the future. Is that possible? And he doesn't believe her at first. But yeah, it all spins to this thing where he's the one ally she really has back right. in the 60s. That he understands her situation. And he's trying to figure out how to get her back into the present. Did he? Did he want to get her back? Because I thought the way that I interpreted the relationship with Richard and Peggy when they were going, you know, when she went to high school, when she was back in high school, was he didn't want her to leave. Mm. You know, if, if you recall, like she she said goodbye when she was going to go visit the grandfather. And he's like, no, 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 you can't go. Because remember, they come up with pantyhose. Yes, that's right. And um, he's like, no, we have so many inventions that we can make. We have so many things that we can do. And I think Richard wanted to, to capitalize on that and wanted to, you know, to work with Peggy. I don't think he wanted her to go. That's right. He does propose to her at one point, right? Yes. He does. He tries to get her to stay. He asks yes. her to marry him. But we're kind of leaving out the one thing that, that would appeal to people who haven't seen this movie, that Peggy's like, well, this nerdy kid is going to invent stuff anyway, so I might as well give him a helping hand. And she starts right. telling him about all the stuff that's going to be popular in the future, like, uh, uh, what is it, personal computers and like... Uh, uh, pocket calculators and like the Walkman. He doesn't really get the, what a Walkman is. Right. <laughs> yeah, she's explaining him a microchip. Invent the microchip. It'll be very popular in the future. Right. And the pantyhose was the best when when he's standing outside of the lingerie shop and she goes in to buy the underwear. Oh, and she you know stitches the pantyhose together. This is so funny. There's a lot of that going on and just uh, little subtle jokes in here that uh, at one point <laughs> Peggy Sue pushes her boyfriend Charlie away. She doesn't want to sleep with him or whatever. And then the mom finds out the mom played by the wonderful actress, Barbara Harris. Are you familiar with Barbara Harris? She's someone that I grew up with from the movie Freaky Friday. I always loved her. Yeah, I loved her, too, um, where it was Barbara Harris and uh, a very young Jodie Foster. No, I loved that movie so much. When I was in kindergarten, I wouldn't answer to the name Candace. I made everybody call me Annabelle. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to put me in therapy. It was great. <laughs> yeah, so Barbara Harris is the mom, and she finds out that uh, 
that Peggy Sue and Charlie are fighting. And, you know, the 60s mom, doing her best to understand her wayward teen daughter, says, uh, is Charlie pressuring you? And Peggy Sue's like, Mom, I don't want to get into this right now. And, and the mom's like, Peggy, you know what a penis is. Stay away from it. <laughs> yeah, so the, the parents are trying their best. And again, Peggy's a 43-year-old woman. Just imagine, you know, you're 40 and your parents trying to mother you like that. Just the way you'd roll your eyes. Oh, yeah, I know what a penis is, Mom. Thank you. Not only that, you have kids, you know. Yeah, I have two kids. I figured out what a penis is at least twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we go through this whole thing with Peggy really enjoying this experience. She's trying to push away Charlie. She's just trying to make her life work out a little better the second time around. And then, like you said, she gets this phone call from her grandparents. And her grandparents ostensibly probably died many, many years ago. And this just absolutely rocks Peggy's world. She's talking to her grandparents. And this is the scene. I mean, uh. not to you know serious up this podcast too much, but... You get older, and that's what happens as you get older. That is the one truth of life. There will be loss. People in your life will be gone, and all that will be left are the memories. And this is, imagine if you had a chance to actually go meet with them again, knowing that they died many years ago, and knowing their future, and just having this conversation with them, and now that you're an adult. Like, it's very deep, some of these scenes. And we're going to get a scene later in the movie where Peggy will actually go and speak with her grandparents, which is one of the most powerful things I, I have seen in any 80s movie, I think. It was so good. It was just so good and just so moving, you know. And it, it really makes you think if you've lost... I mean, I lost my grandfather in 98. You know, um, I was the only grandchild that he saw graduate. Um, my children are the only uh, great-grandchildren my grandmother ever met, you know. So um, I graduated college six months before my grandfather passed. And if I if I can go back, oh, my gosh, that would be oh, that would be unbelievable. Yeah. And I, I mean, I still have the same thing that I have both my parents. I mean, both my parents were basically gone by I was by the time I was twenty nine mm. and I have all four of my grandparents gone. So it's like this movie really moves me. And it's I can imagine it will as I get older, as the grandma will say later in the movie that. You know, as I get older, Peggy, I don't remember the present. All I live in are my memories. And the grandparent will say, what you're doing, you're going, you're reliving your life, is that you you get to choose your memories. Choose what becomes important to you, Peggy Sue. Choose what will become your life. And it's very, very deep, again, for just a silly little 80s movie that there's a lot going on here. There is. You know, and I really feel bad for the production company because it came out so close to when um, Back to the Future came out they must have been filming at the same time mm-hmm. you know and it's it's just so frustrating when you have a film that you know is going to be a hit and you release it and somebody else it, it seems like it's the same idea and they release it right before you yeah they beat you to the punch and back then you know yeah and back then you know we didn't have the internet and we didn't have any of those things <laughs> so Everything had already been, I mean, the, the movie was already written. It's not like somebody just saw Back to the Future and said, hey, let's put this in a female spin. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely right there with you. It's just very unfortunate how timing. It's funny how so much of the movie industry, obviously, I'm preaching to the choir, you know this very well, is based on yeah. how well your last movie did. Are you marketable? Like, what's this legacy of this movie is going to be? What Was it a big hit? Are people going to have careers that are made out of it? And this movie, just in any other timeline would have been probably a big smash hit. And, and I'd argue it actually kind of was. It still was a pretty big movie. I mean, again, she was nominated for an Oscar, but right. it's not one that you don't see on, like, I Love the 80s. They don't talk about it. This isn't one of those movies that people reminisce about. And it's really all just timing. It's all because maybe the greatest movie of all time came out right before it, and it has a similar plot. And then there's this one, which is, you know, maybe not that good, but it's really not that far of a step under it, and it just kind of got overshadowed. And it's just really unfair. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, Hollywood is extremely unfair. And, you know, it, it makes me wonder, um, what if what if it wasn't Peggy Sue got married? What if it was Bobby Joe or whatever name, you know, like a guy? What if it was a male lead instead of a female lead? You know, and not to, not to bring in sexism or anything. It's just something that I've personally faced a lot the, with the entertainment industry and with female roles. And, I mean, I was told by several companies that my move, my, my TV show skews too female. Oh, it's, it's too female. Um, my sales agent was told, you know, oh, well too bad. She's not a guy. Cause we'd pick her right up. So, 
and that you know it's 2018 you're going back to 1986 what if what if the lead i mean it'd be a very different movie but i wonder what if the lead was it was a guy you know i don't think you're speaking out of place because that's something that occurred to me as well because when i when this movie first came out you know i'm a 12 year old boy and i'm thinking like a back to the future just with a middle-aged woman that's not a movie at 12 that's being marketed to me it's not something that's really in my wheelhouse and so it's something that i wouldn't really gravitate towards at that age so i think there is absolutely some validity to that that if this movie had been maybe a male-led movie, it might have been a little more marketable to more quadrants, I think would be the right way to say it. Well, it depends on whether or not the male lead would bring his daughter to the reunion with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in 1985, I think the question is the daughter, someone like Heather Locklear or something, maybe that would work. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> but yeah, no, that, I think you're very true. I think this movie probably does suffer that it is seen as, for better or worse, Back to the Future for Girls. I mean, I hate to say that, but that's really Absolutely. what it has always been seen as, and it's it's just not fair. And I, I, I'm right there with you on that. I completely forgot that Coppola directed it. I really did. I watched it, and I was like, holy crap, it's a family affair. And then when I saw that uh, that Sophia was in it, and I was like, it really is a family affair, you know. It just it just makes it just makes you wonder, you know, if things were if things were different back then. I would love to do a redux of Peggy Sue Got Married. Yeah, this is one of those, and I don't advocate for remakes all the time because I just don't like it. I think it's it's insulting to think that a movie can't stand on its own as it is. Why do you have to do a modern version? But this is one I think. If they did remake it with a big name star and it got a lot of press and in now in, you know, in the modern culture, it would because they are very good at when a female led movie is out there making sure people realize that they should go and see it because this is will drive the business that if the new one were a hit, people would rediscover the old one. And that's so I really do what advocated in this instance, I think. But I would totally pull like an Ocean's Eleven on it and take it out of the 60s and put it where it's, you know, it's now 2018 mm -hmm. and the it goes back to the 90s. I've actually read people uh, saying the exact same thing, that they think that would be amazing to set this in the 90s. Oh, it'd be so much fun. It would just be great. Yeah, it's funny to think of us old people not even realizing that the 90s is 25 years ago. I didn't even realize that until you say that. I'm like, holy crap, I'm old. Yeah, it's painful. It's painful. But I, you know, I just think that, that we would have different reasons to get married, though. You know, uh, like, that's one thing. If I could change anything in this film would be that they got married because she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. Because then then it leads to, and I don't want to give any spoilers. Do you do spoilers? Are you going to say what happens with Michael Simmons? Oh, yeah. No, we're absolutely going to spoil the ending of this. So go for it. Go for spoilers. We have to sell this movie to people. All right, so she has her starry night with Michael Fitzsimmons where, you know, they get down and dirty in the field under the moon and whatever, and she has sex with them. And then she has sex with Charlie. Later on, there is, at the very end of the movie, uh, Michael Fitzsimmons sends a gift, because he doesn't go to, to the reunion, but he sends a gift to Peggy Sue while she's in the hospital, because she, she's not dead, she had a heart attack. And they send um, this book, and in the book, it says, To Peggy Sue on a Starry Night. So it makes you wonder, did these things actually happen? And now, because now you're running into, oh, my God, is Beth Charlie's daughter. Oh, wow. You know, that, did you ever think of that? I never did think of that. You just blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Peggy Sue has altered the space-time continuum. She banged the wrong person. Yeah, that's I didn't even realize that. So, uh, so because now, as an adult watching this and being the screenwriter, now I look at it and I'm like, oh, I wonder if Beth or or Scott, because maybe that's why <laughs> Scott is you know not shown is because he looks too much like Michael. Um, is that Charlie's? Are, are both kids Charlie's? So I would give it a different reason why they got married. Yes, in the 60s, you get pregnant, you get married. Mm -hmm. But there could be other reasons. There could be other reasons. You don't even need a reason to get married, you know? That's true. No, that's very good. It's, I, I'm thinking of that as you're talking about it. Just what reason would you give them to get married in the 90s? And yeah, obviously, my girlfriend got pregnant. We have to get married tomorrow. It doesn't really work as well in that era. Sometimes it does. I mean, I had I had some girlfriends that, that got pregnant in in high school and they got married. I also had a couple of friends um, where the boyfriends were joining the military 
and they wanted to get married before he joined the military. I had another friend who wanted to move out of her house because her mother was too controlling. So she got married and they moved. So like she literally got married the day after we graduated. So there's there's a lot of different reasons and kind of getting pregnant is a bit of a cop out. Yeah, it's just a cliche. It is. It, it really is. So Peggy Sue Got Married was written by a husband and wife team. And it kind of makes you wonder, maybe they were trying to write from their own experiences. Maybe because a lot of it is cliche, you mm -hmm. know, and I, I think that if you had a solo female writer on this, no offense to men, but I think that there might have been a little bit more independence there. Yeah, no, I agree. It's I'd have to do the history of who wrote this movie, how many movies they'd done before this. Maybe they were just falling right. back on the old cliche, this is how you drive the story. I don't know. But I'd, I do agree that if you wrote this from a 100% female perspective and cast it 100% female lead and everything, it would be a little different story. Yeah, maybe I'm putting my 2018 perception, you know, an experience on a 1986 movie that, <laughs> that I shouldn't. Or maybe you're just throwing your name out there as the person who should be writing this movie when Hollywood decides to remake it. Well, let me tell you, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about doing it myself and then bringing it over to Universal or, you know, whoever released it. Be like, hey, guys, <laughs> check it out. As long as you get Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt to make cameos. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe maybe I could have them play her parents. Oh, trippy. Another Shyamalan twist. Right? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Okay, let's let's talk about we talked about the clichés. I want to try to wrap this up a little bit here that uh that we talked about, you know, there's it's kind of like a cliché that Peggy Sue had to get married cuz she was pregnant, but what's interesting about this movie and what really makes it stand out to me is that you think the point of the movie is that she has to redo her thing and not marry Charlie cuz everything turned out as a disaster. And what's interesting to me is that the movie does not go there. Is that all of a sudden they start making Charlie very sympathetic in the movie? That, you know, Peggy Sue's pushing him away. He was an idiot. He was a failure. He left her. But then she realizes in the movie, which I think is really kind of cool, how hard Charlie worked to become a, a rock and roll singer. That was his dream in 1960. And, of course, it didn't work out. But, like, in the movie, she finds out that he was going to, like, the black club across town and working with an R&B group. He was meeting with agents. Like, he really, really had a dream, and he pushed as hard as he could. And she didn't realize about this at the time. And this is where it almost becomes Charlie's story in a way, which is I think is a very uh, gracious way to share the story, that it's not 100% just Peggy's story. But... It's told from Peggy's perspective, which I appreciate so much. And that's something that I really, really love about this movie is that almost every single scene is told from Peggy Sue's perspective. Now, here's a little trivia for you. What is the only scene not told from Peggy's perspective? There is one moment in the movie. I did, it did jump out at me that Peggy wouldn't know this. She wouldn't see this. And I'm not sure it's a full scene, but it's a scene where Nick, where Charlie is arriving at her house to pick her up for the date, and he's like primping in his mirror, and he, you hear his inner monologue. Is that the one you're thinking of? No, that's not it. And I think that he could, that she could, if she's looking out her window, like, I think that, that she could um, see that. But the, how about the scene in after she's, uh, Charlie grabs her at the end in the rain but when, with the grandfather? Oh, where it's the grandfather and them back in the lodge? Yeah. And they have that, well, that works, you know, or whatever. And so, so basically what happens is that Peggy Sue goes to her grandfather, tells the grandfather, grandparents what happened to her. And they believe her. And the grandfather says, we've been waiting for you for 600 years or something. I think it's 600 years that this last happened. It's you have to come to my lodge. All she thinks that we do is drink and play cards. Um, you have to come to my lodge. So they bring her to this lodge and there is this, like voodoo it kind of reminded me of the scene in um da vinci code where a young i think her name is sophie is looking through the um the window at her grandfather and they're doing this ritual and it was the the night or whatever it was um and it just reminded me of that where it was his grandfather that he's in this cloak with his club and whatever and they're doing this ritual and it's very comical, you know, there's like stupid little things that go back and forth to send her back to her own time. Well, the lights go out, the lights come back on, and she's not there. And then there's a little bit of dialogue. They're like, all right, let's go play our cards and whatever. 
you know, that worked and, and Peggy's gone. Okay. I got it. That's the scene. Yeah. So it is really the kind of the one time in the movie, it kind of devolves into farce. That's the one scene. I don't know if it really works all that well, but again, the scene right before that, the grandparent scene, let's not gloss over this one because to me, this is the signature scene in this movie. And when I read these comments on the IMDb, it's just people endlessly talking about the grandparent scene, the one that really makes this movie special. Oh, so good. Yeah. So it's Peggy, so good. She knows she's going to go back to the future. She's going to go back to her time period. I don't know how she knows this. She just senses her time here is over. She's done all she can. And uh, she goes one last time. She goes out to visit her grandparents. And uh, she just sits with them and she explains her situation that I, from 25 years in the future, I know you died. Let's just talk and share memories. And they just talk. And it's the sweetest conversation. And there's the, the grandma, of course, like I said earlier, giving her the life advice. Right now you're just browsing through time. Choose the things that you're proud of. And then, yeah, it's just a very, like, the signature scene of this movie where she gets to reconnect with people in her in her past, speak to them from an adult point of view. And then the line where she says, Grandpa, you know, Grandpa, if you could do it all over again, what would you do different? And you're expecting something profound. And the Grandpa says, well, I'd take better care of my teeth. <laughs> I guess that's old person wisdom right there. <laughs> uh, it's so good, though, because it really breaks that... You know, because like I said, I watched it from a completely different perspective. So I'm like crying while I'm watching this part because both my grandparents are gone. And he said that and I just started laughing because it was like, that's something my, my grandfather would say, you know, and it, it, it was just very funny. And it kind of broke it up. It was very, it's a very good scene. It's a very poignant scene because I think the grandmother even says at one point, I know when I'm going to die. Yeah, that's the thing. And as you get to that age, I'm assuming I'm not to that age, but I'm assuming you just kind of accept that. I will be dying soon. That's fine. That's just the way it is. I live in my memories at this point. And they have this really nice talk. And it's funny. It's one of, one of the, the sentences I saw Roger Ebert in his review when this first came out, as he said how amazing it was and how poignant. And he said it, at some point, it, at some points in the movie, it's downright creepy. It's like you're walking through a graveyard, but everybody's alive and just telling their stories. Mm. And it, it kind of is. There's a little bit of that underneath it, but it's just so interesting. And again, Back to the Future doesn't have any scene with that kind of emotional resonance if we're continuing to compare these movies. I'll just say that um because nobody knew who marty was yeah so you didn't have that emotional connection and i think that you need to reverse it where everybody knows who Pe who peggy is you know and peggy you you just kind of forget things about people as you get older you forget the bad things you forget the good things you, you forget people altogether. so you know with uh, the, the one scene that I remember the most was just ugh, just such a gross scene from uh, Back to the Future was when uh, Leah Thompson was trying to seduce, you know, or when Marty's mom was trying to seduce Marty and was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's surprising that Disney didn't want to touch that movie, huh? Oh, uh, yeah, I wonder why. But, you know, it's it's very funny that with Peggy it's completely the opposite where she's suddenly she starts trying to seduce Charlie and Charlie's like, what's with you? You said no. And now you say yes. Yeah. And he's like, that's a guy's line. That's the thing. She's coming onto him in the car at one point, just cause she's 43. And she's like, I've had sex with this guy hundreds of times over the years. Yeah. She's coming onto him as a teenager and he doesn't get it. He's like, you're acting like a guy. I'm supposed right. to be saying that stuff. It's really an interesting little uh, reversal of roles. <laughs> it was brutal. It was brutal because <laughs> he felt humiliated. He's been emasculated by his girlfriend, which, again, would not have happened in 1960. That's something the the weird uh, beatnik guy would be doing. Not not you, Peggy Sue. Right. And um, another part that we neglected to, and I know you want to end this up soon, but when she first gets in the car with him, he's like, well, you know, what have we talked about? And, and or have you been thinking about what we talked about? And she's like, uh, can you refresh my memory? And he goes, yeah, about breaking up. And she's like, oh! I think that's a great idea. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is funny. Just the life and death gravitas when you're a teenager. Everything right, exactly. is such a big deal and important. And she's so flippant about it. Okay, sure. Let's let's break it up today. <laughs> and then another thing that you brought up earlier was we were talking about how she felt, how she felt so dejected and how she felt so horrible. And after baton practice, she walks up to Charlie. Like Charlie's been watching her. And she's like, um, he's like, Peggy, you're killing me, or something to that effect. And she's like, oh, do you feel dejected? Do you feel depressed? Do you feel sad? Do you feel like you're unworthy? Remember that. 
and walked away. And I was like, yes. That's a great scene. Oh, it's such a good scene. It's getting revenge on somebody who does something to you in the future that they don't know they did. You know? It's like when my wife dreams that I did something horrible to her in her dream and she wakes up and she's mad at me. I'm like, what did I do? (laughs) I hit my husband this morning for that. I woke up and I like hit him and he's like, what the hell? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was dreaming. (laughs) So, yeah, I totally understand. But, you know, it's just they run the gamut of emotions, which I think is it's just really great about this film. Because you have love, you have hate, you have despair, you have embarrassment, you've got, you know, I mean, when she passes out, the way that they, in the very beginning of the movie, where they've got the lights on her and she passes out in front of everybody, you feel that. You're, I mean, the way that they did that with the cinematography, you feel embarrassed. You're like, oh God, don't go down, don't go down. And then boom, she's like, that's it. She faints and you're like, oh no. You know, and you don't know where it's going. Yeah, and what's interesting is we get to the end of this movie, and again, this whole movie is about love and life and regret and memories and choices, and then at the end of the movie, she decides it was all worth it. Like, I got two amazing kids out of it. I have a life, and she kind of understands Charlie. She understands where she went wrong in her life. She understands where Charlie went wrong, and they kind of get each other, and she just has re-seen her life from the perspective of, instead of just looking at it from her 43-year-old perspective, she looked at it from her 17-year-old perspective, 18-year-old perspective. And at the end, she decides she will just get back with Charlie. You know, I got two kids out of the deal. And again, like you said, that might not be Charlie's kid anymore. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> but yeah, so she's like, you know, I made mistakes, but it was my life, and I'm choosing the memories that I want to choose out of it. And maybe Charlie and I can make something out of it at the end. And she and Nicolas Cage kind of it's assumed they're going to get back together. Right. And it's kind of a sweet moment. What does it is she sees the locket of her two little kids and realizes she never got back with Charlie or she never made it with Charlie she never would have had her kids so it really is poignant that it's the choices that you make in life that determine your future and again as you watch this movie and you're as you're 12 obviously it doesn't have that much resonance to you but you watch it as you get older when you have kids when you've made choices when you have established a life like when someday you know when you will die you know what your obituary is going to say because you've established what your legacy was it's very just a very deep and poignant movie for an era when where movies weren't especially poignant and deep, and it's one that I just, I know you would agree with me, it's just one that I think more people should know from that era. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. You need to put it on, like, VH1 or something, because the music is actually really good in it. And not to mention, there's a scene where uh, Nicolas Cage and Jim Carrey, and they have a little doo-wop group, oh, like Dion so and the Belmonts, and they sing a little song, because Charlie wants to be a rock and roll singer, and it's, like, legitimately a good song. Nicolas Cage is a good singer. Yeah, he really is. I, going back to my absolute adoration for Nick Cage, uh, he, he, the, the dance movements, the lame jackets or whatever. I mean, it was just, it, it just, it, they're so great. And the guys played really well off each other. And to go from being that adult to being the goofballs in, in school, you know, that differentiation was, I thought it was really, really well done. I can almost say, I mean, I can say almost nothing bad about this movie other than, like you said, some of the writing choices, particularly at the beginning, and maybe Nicolas Cage's weird voice that he decides to talk in. But again, you've defended that from a writing perspective, an acting perspective, and I think you're probably right at the end of the day, it was the right choice, but it is very kind of odd when you watch it for the first time thinking, why is he speaking in that weird voice? Yeah, why is he talking through his nose? Because your voice has not fully matured. Not Nicolas Cage yet, he's still just a little teenager. Right, but when he sings, and I think that that's something that's really cool, too, is that he's got this, like, little nasally voice, and then, man, he can sing. I think at one point, has he ever played Elvis or something in the movie? I vaguely remember thinking, hearing somewhere, he's a huge Elvis fan, right? Yeah, I think he did play Elvis in in the movie. Sorry, I I keep going back to, like, my favorite Nick Cage movies (laughs) that have nothing to do with Elvis, but, like, yeah, you ever want to do Gone in 60 Seconds or... Con Air. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> My wife is pushing oh. for Con Air. That's, she hates action movies, but for some reason, Con Air wins her over every time. I like Black Cherry Jello. <laughs> oh, my God. I love him so much. And I, <laughs> yeah, I am the, big, the world's biggest Honeymoon in Vegas fan, so there will be Nicolas Cage movies coming down the road, so don't worry about that. Feel free to give me a call, and maybe I could even get Natasha on one of these calls, or on one of your podcasts. Talk about her, her uncle or cousin or whatever. 
<laughs> nope, it's our uncle. <laughs> Good. Let's let's have her bag on her uncle. No, oh, but anyway, yeah. So if that's two things we wanted to get across about this movie. Kathleen Turner, absolute underrated gem from the '80s, and maybe the biggest star in Hollywood for a couple of years there. And it's just a shame she's yeah. been so forgotten. And then Nicolas Cage. I mean, always making interesting choices in his roles. He's not just some meme who is in The Wicker Man. He's a legitimately odd but talented actor who's done some really interesting stuff over the years. So, again, I just want to uh, thank you for coming on to talk about this movie that was really near and dear to my heart, and I'm glad I found someone else who felt as strongly about it as I do. Absolutely. And I know I criticize quite a bit. Just the criticism is coming from my experience perspective. Um, I'm a fan of this movie. I think it's fun. The sets, we, we didn't even get to talk about the scenery, the sets, or anything and it's um it's just it's phenomenal it's a great great movie if you haven't seen it you should and like i said you can watch it as a teenager and then watch it 10 years from then and get something totally different and then watch it 10 years from them and you keep learning new things every time you watch this movie so you absolutely go watch peggy sue got married i watched it on demand go for it and I just have to add one more thing is that we live in this, you know, the culture where where women artists are being highlighted and, and spotlighted now. And and it's kind of this reputation that, you know, only women are only now getting their chance in Hollywood and, and things like that in writing and directing. But like there was this movie back in the 80s that was absolutely female led and female centric. And like, I think it's it's kind of a big deal that it came out when it did, because that was not an era when you had a lot like this. Correct. Agreed. Okay, before you sign off, anything you want to plug? I know uh, you talked about your uh, your movie and your TV show. I'll give you a chance one more time to plug those, let people know how they can find those. Yeah, my film's called What Happened Last Night. It was released by Sony last year. Um, it's available in the U.S. and Canada on Amazon, at Walmart, um, on demand. What Happened Last Night, starring Amber Rose, David Otunga, Clayton Snyder, Shelley Regner, and a bunch of other great people. Oh, Cody Califuyari, he'd come if I didn't mention his name. And then we've got New Dogs, Old Tricks that will be an Amazon exclusive coming out on September 28th. It is the week of my birthday, so give me a birthday present and watch my show. All right, once again, that is the famous Candy Cane joining me here on Staff Picks. And I just want to, again, thank everybody who listens to these episodes. I know I'm cranking out a lot of them. I just am very proud of this show. I'm very proud of what uh, this can offer to people who like movies, just these knowledge of these movies out there that may not have ever gotten all that much attention. So, again, my name is Mario Lanza. You can reach me on email at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time we talk, I'll be out there searching for movies that need a little more love. Talk to you guys later. Goodbye. Your love machine, your throbbing thrill hammer, your thing. You mean my wang? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>